welcome to the Let It Matter podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Wolf. Here at Let It Matter, we seek to make space for and honor what matters to us as individuals, as communities, and as beloved children of God. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 to cast our cares on God because God cares for us. That tells me that God cares about what we care about. In their song of the same title, the group Johnny Swim offers this invitation. If it matters, let it matter. So that's what we're going to do. I invite you to join me for the next 30 to 45 minutes as we make space for, honor, celebrate, or lament, and as we name, what matters. Okay. Hello, hello, and welcome. Oh man, I am so thankful that you are joining me for this episode. I hope that you are too, once you listen to it. Um, I think that if will be a great resource for you, if not today, then at some point, and I think you'll be glad you had it, and maybe you can bookmark it or share it with others who you know it may benefit. Um, Today on the Let It Matter podcast, I am joined by my friend, fellow podcaster and writer, Morgan Stralo. Morgan is a literary agent and freelance writer who spent the first decade of her career as a creator, administrator, and researcher in the sports industry. Now she comes alongside authors from longing to book launch, cultivating courage, clarifying their message, and offering advocacy, accountability, and soul care <clears throat> through, the pri- through the writing and publishing process. Morgan also hosts Sanctuary Woman, a contemplative podcast for weary Christians recovering from purity culture and navigating a curious faith. When she's not writing or working with writers, Morgan stays busy as mom to Seth and partner to Sean in their new home state of Pennsylvania. Really quick, I want to introduce what we're talking about today and tell you why it's important to me. I, uh, t- we're going to be talking about sort of best practices um, for navigating the job market, navigating salary negotiations, navigating um, a pr- stinking promotions, office dynamics, setting boundaries in the workplace, all of those types of things. Um, sort of best practices that Morgan and I have gleaned over our time in uh, in the workforce and in various industries. And so, um, <clears throat> I. I wanted to talk about this because it's something I've become passionate about over the last few years. I was just looking back today over a conversation I had with a friend named Erica on Twitter. Um, It looks like it was back from February of 2021. I had tweeted something about just feeling really stuck. I was working at an insurance agency. I was burning out. I was burning the candle at both ends, just doing like the job of three or four people. I was exhausted and I wasn't getting paid very much. And, um, and that was snowballing in different effects in my life. And, um, I felt like I was feeling down on being single because I felt like I'm always going to be single income and I can't, like I can't save, I can't travel, I can't, you know, get my feet underneath me just making this much money. And I sort of thought to myself that because I had chosen to be an insurance agent, that I could only work in local neighborhood agencies. And there was sort of that I had, I was sort of at the max that I could be making. Um, And this is after, you know, 15 years of experience in the industry. And I was sort of feeling like that. And 
Um, and I was just looking back over our conversation where Erica's giving me all this cheerleading. She's saying, you know, it, it, it may feel like that, but what if you consider this? What if you consider other opportunities? What, are di- what about different aspects of the industry? And I just sort of keep shutting her down saying like, well, you know, maybe, but my, you know, this is, what if I don't get better than this? What if the grass isn't greener? Maybe, but my, I have such a good relationship with my boss. What if he, you know, how will the office run without me? And all these things, it's just, bless my tiny heart. Um, and really from that conversation, it just sort of planted a seed. And that was in February. And by April, and I'll talk a little bit about this in the, um, in the conversation with Morgan, but by April of that year, so two months later, I went in and, um, I mean, Pertnier demanded, but certainly negotiated a $10,000 raise two months or sorry, four months after that, I got another $10,000 raise because I was burning out so much. And I began to implement the practices that Morgan and I are going to talk about in this episode. Um, So for those who are counting, I had this conversation in February of 2021, feeling stuck, feeling like I was never going to make anymore feeling financially stuck. And by August, so six months later, I had I had negotiated two $10,000 a year raises. Um, And then at the end of that year, in December, I, um, I ended up surfing the job market and leaving the position I was in for another $15,000 a year. Uh, and then this past May, surfing the job market again and getting another $10,000 a year. My, my salary over the last two or three years has uh, more than doubled, including, I mean, and not including just also the addition of benefits and temp, you know, disability and 401k matching and health insurance, these things I didn't have before. And I'm not saying that to be, to be like a braggart. I'm saying that because, um, it's, a it's amazing what a mindset shift will do. And Erica helped me get to that mindset shift where all of a sudden I didn't feel stuck anymore. I realized there were other aspects of the insurance industry at various corporate offices, larger companies, nationwide brokerages and wholesalers and retailers. If you're not in, in insurance, this stuff's going to feel like boring to you. But, uh, but it, I was like, oh, I don't have just this one path and I'm not maxed out. And I do have massive career um, development and professional development on the horizon in front of me. Um, and I've, and I've really taken that and run with it. And so I just, I'm really passionate about sharing that stuff, especially with women, especially since, you know, me too and time's up and all these things where the workplace is becoming, uh, and you know, the, the DE and I departments and stuff, the workplace is becoming more, um, tolerable, more generous, more uh, amenable to women negotiating things and getting them partially because, it looks good on their statistics and demographics and all those things, but also because mindsets are starting to shift in the workplace. And so I wanted to share these things with you guys. I want Morgan to share them, you know, her experiences with you guys. And uh, I'm really excited for you to hear this interview. And so here is my conversation with Morgan Stralo. Um, and I'll be back on the back end of it. Okay, Morgan Stralo, thank you so much for joining me on the Let It Matter podcast today. I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks for having me, Kelly. So I am really excited about this topic that we're going to be talking about. Um, It's something that sort of you have, uh, the reason I thought of you for this episode was just in sort of, um, I know you've had a career change recently. I know you've had um, experience in several different fields. Um, And then 
I feel like in the way that you, you know, the piece that you wrote for Christianity Today about like finances and stuff, mm-hmm. like there's, there's things that, um, I know that these topics have sort of been on your radar. And so, um, I know we're going to have a great conversation. I'm excited about it. Can just to start it off, start us off. Can you just sort of share with everyone your, I guess, like a professional history or background? You can do fifty thousand feet view if you want to, <laughs> but um, just to give people an idea of sort of where what you've navigated in terms of the job markets. Yeah, so I'll go way back to um, I've always loved working. When I was fifteen. No one asked me to get a job, but I begged. <laughs> not oh, just bless. my my not just my parents, but um, the local coffee shop owner um, to let me work. And so I got my first job at fifteen. Um, I got that while selling a yearbook ad because I was a yearbook oh. nerd, and um, I. I loved this job so much that when I put in my resignation letter, I cried because Uh (laughs) because it was, I just enjoyed it. I loved the people. I loved going to work. Um, I, cause I couldn't work after school because of tennis practice. I got up at like 5 AM on my weekend mornings to go into work. And, um, but I loved the, independence. I loved having my own money. Mm-hmm. I was at the middle of three kids and, you know, my parents couldn't afford to send us to all the camps that we wanted to go to in the summer. Yeah. And so I, I saved up my money so I could go to church camp and tennis camp. <laughs> and so <laughs> I love that. And so that was kind of my, I've, I, I just discovered a love for, for mm-hmm. working. And so whenever I, you know, I mentioned that I was, I did yearbook in high school. And so whenever I left for college, I wanted to work in publishing. I loved my experience as a yearbook editor. I loved the writing. I loved the layout designing. And I was also a reader. Um, And whenever I had um, my first summer where I wanted to start doing internships, I had the opportunity to intern at... Super Bowl 45 or like their host committee. Um, sure, the Dallas hosted. as per usual. Um, and I also had an offer to work at um, a major Christian book publisher, um, Thomas Nelson. That was that was the dream job. Yeah. But they were both unpaid internships and I didn't have a place to stay in Nashville. Mm-hmm. I had a place to stay in Dallas. And so I took the Super Bowl um, internship. Mm-hmm. And so that just kind of took off when you have Super Bowl on your resume at age 20. It's not hard <laughs> to get yeah. jobs um, in sports as a young professional. Now, they don't pay well if they pay at all, but sure. it's not hard to get it's not hard to get jobs. <laughs> and so I worked in the sports industry for about a decade. Um, after that, I worked in professional sports. Um, then I worked in like major events and became kind of like the go-to in the Dallas Fort Worth area when like there are so many major sports brands that mm-hmm. I created like their Twitter account. I created their Instagram account because mm-hmm. those were the up and coming social media platforms at the time. I mm-hmm. was this, I was this guru um, mm-hmm. of sports social media, but I wanted to be on a college campus so bad. And so <laughs> I ended up, um, moving 
to Fayetteville, Arkansas, um, to be an athletic administrator at University of Arkansas. And then from there, um, had an opportunity to advance in athletic administration, went to Baylor, mm -hmm. and that ended up not being a great fit. But um, my husband had just started a PhD program. <laughs> I was hey. stuck in Waco, Texas, and I was also desperate to get out of my work environment. And mm -hmm. so I left the industry. I mean, I yeah. was that miserable in my job that after a decade of moving up the ladder, so to speak, of mm -hmm. uh, it's a really cutthroat industry. As a woman, I was just like, you know what, I, <laughs> I, I can't do it. Yeah. Um, and so I went over to the academic side, I decided to stay at Baylor. Um, just the benefits were good. And the, you know, it was, it wasn't totally leaving my employer, it was just leaving my position sure. and my industry. Um, and I was like, you know what, I, I can figure out what's, what's next, like while I'm in just a job, like, mm -hmm. I left my career. And I, for the first time was in just a job where yeah. I wasn't trying to strategize, like, mm -hmm. what my next move is like this, every single position up until that point had been a stepping stone. Mm -hmm. And I was already thinking about my next step, like, my first day on the job. Yeah. Yeah. And it was so nice for the first time to not have to think mm. about that because I wasn't even qualified to advance <laughs> in, in the field. I was working at the school of social work. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a, I have a master's degree in support management. Yeah. Like not, <laughs> I, I, there was nothing else I could do in the school yeah. of social work other than be a project manager. And so I used that, um, that it felt leisurely to have just a job. Yeah. And I used that like brain space and that time um, to get back to my first love, which was writing and reading mm -hmm. and um, kind of being the scrappy professional I am, just working my way into the publishing industry. Mm -hmm. um, the same industry that I wanted to work in mm -hmm. um, whenever I left for college. And so yeah. now I am a literary agent yeah. uh, for the Bindery Agency. And I work with authors and writers, um, mostly first time authors who have a dream of publishing and they yeah. have a story and I get to come alongside them and advocate for them and, and help them realize that dream. That's so great. And I think you're uniquely gifted for it. Um, really quick, if you can touch on, I remember there being some big feelings when you were leaving your last position um, about like just wrestling against burnout. Um, mm -hmm. Can you just talk a little bit about maybe, do you know what I'm talking about? Like my position at Baylor, I guess. Yeah, you were like on a countdown. Yeah, on a countdown to to, oh. to be or to become self-employed. Yeah. So I, you know, during 2020, when we were working from home, was really when I started taking on freelance clients mm -hmm. and like experience that autonomy. But I was also working in my full time sure. job, which was like a true like eight to five. Like I didn't need to check emails outside of yeah. like my work hours. But because I had worked in such like a, a lifestyle industry to where like you're working all the time, mm -hmm. I didn't know how to just like 
not work after hours. And so I, I took on clients <laughs> because what else, what else does one do when they <laughs> don't have any boundaries? Um, we'll talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, I did that during 2020 and I, I, yeah, I mean, by the time I left my job in December 2022, my full-time job, mm-hmm. um, to go out on my own, but I was, I mean, burned out to the core mm-hmm. <laughs> um, by the time I did, and and you wish think that's I would a combination have left of be, of doing a full-time job and having taken on freelance work as well. Yeah, definitely. In addition that. to other life factors. Yeah, I mean, just all the the impact COVID and the pandemic had on work life and then the expectations that surrounded that and feeling like, Oh, I just have to like come in to be here to make HR happy. Mm. And, and yeah, I just like, I started, I felt like I was losing autonomy Mm, (laughs) and I had so much, I was realizing my potential in being self-employed. And Mm. so it was it was a lot harder to stay um, as much as I wanted to, because I love yeah. the people. I love the department. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the older I get, the more autonomy I, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I want. And so, um, yeah, I felt like I was leaving money on the table by staying in my full-time job and not being able to take on and live into the potential yeah. of, um, my freelance writing and editing and and that's turned into something I wasn't even looking for um which is agenting yeah um that's great I I want to I'll just be super quick with mine I started my I had my first job at like a almost like a Hallmark Hallmark store like a card and gift shop um but very quickly after that I was in co-op in high school which is a program where you Mm. work you go to work half of the school day and you get school credit for it and so um I started working at an insurance agency in town and I didn't have my license obviously I was 16 um but I did their filing I answered the phones I you know there was nothing was paperless yet at that point and so there's a lot of just shuffling papers around and processing mail and stuff. So I got into the insurance industry when I was 16 years old. Um, and other than a, a notable break right after the, uh, around the recession of 2012, like, you know, when the banks failed and then all the homes started to get foreclosed on that eventually made its way to the insurance industry. And things are really difficult when your entire income was based on commission. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I took a little four or five year break into the veterinary field, which was fascinating and wonderful. And just like you said, it was a job. I, I, I'm not, I wasn't going to become a vet tech. I wasn't going to get, you know, go get my DVM, my degree, and become a vet. So I knew um, advancement wasn't really going to be possible. But I got to see cool things and snuggle sweet dogs and get horse hugs every morning and MRI, autopsy, giraffe legs, and it was a crazy (laughs) few years. Um, At the end of that period, though, I... I was like, my self-esteem was really struggling and my finances and I was in debt. And I was just like, I had this sort of ding, this sort of realization. I wanted to get back into a position where advancement was possible, where I could continue to... um, to grow. And so I was like, I'm good. I'm good at insurance. I've done it a long time. It's one of the few topics. I mean, I know it 
I know it. I know exactly what I'm talking about. And I know it well, um, on a, a range of different products and, and in, you know, industries and stuff like that. So I got back into, um, I, I got a job at a local insurance agency. I had let my licenses lapse. If you're an insurance agent and you're ever considering leaving the industry, still do your CE <laughs> and keep your licenses. Things went so south so fast. Um, it was like $1,500 and I was facing like jail time. Okay. Anyway, so, <laughs> um, so I got my licenses back and was very surprised sort of how easily the second round of tests came because I was so familiar with the subject matter at that point. Again, I was just, it was like riding a bike. Um, and since then I have been on a pretty steady tra trajectory. It was at that agency making real shit money. Uh, I went to another agency in town. That was in 2019 in 20. Yeah. In 2019, I went to another agency in town um, and I got a $10,000 raise, but it was still not good money and no benefits because <laughs> it was small <laughs> businesses. Um, and then the pandemic hit, I started working from home, which changed my life. And I'm going to talk about remote work at some point, but, um, I, in that position became not just the, like an associate agent there in the office. I was the office manager, the commercial lines specialist. Um, I was doing hiring and firing, accounting, AP, payroll, um, training people, I also oversaw and acted as the general contractor for an entire renovation, merger and acquisition. Um, <laughs> it was, I was doing the job of five or six people. And so burnout was, I felt exploited and especially for what I was getting paid. Um, and so in April of 2021, I went to my boss and said, this is not sustainable. I'm looking at comps in the area. This is in the COVID job market. Not when everything had dried up, but when everything, they were hungry. You could get any salary you were asking for, basically. Um, and so I went to my boss with some comps. I got a $10,000 raise in April of 2021. By August of 2021, the feeling of burnout and exploitation had not been relieved. In fact, it was 10 times worse because we just bought another agency. And so... I went back to him again and got another $10,000 raise. So in case you're counting, this is a $20,000 raise in four months. <laughs> um, and then four months later in December, I had to let the position go. I, I loved that place, but I was, mm. I couldn't do it. I mean, I was just exhausted to my bones. And I, I was also aware that in the agency environment, other than owning it, I was as high as I was going to go. Mm -hmm. Um, and he had already told me he had maxed out on pay. And so I was, I'm 35. I didn't want to be maxed out on anything yet. Um, and so my, my ideas sort of transitioned to corporate, to insurance corporate, which would be either like the actual carrier in the claims office or in, uh, whatever, um, or like a broker or wholesaler, a national anyway. Um, from January of 2022 to May of this year, I was in a, I negotiated another $20,000 increase and got benefits finally and mm -hmm. was remote work. It was a dream setup. Um, and the, my workload allowed me to begin podcasting and to be doing things at home, like hobby things, uh, which was great. Uh, there was a few sticking points with that position namely misogyny. And so, um, 
And so just in May, (laughs) yeah, so just in May, I took a a new position at a different company for another $10,000 raise. And I, after having navigated the job market so much lately, um, but none of it out of like, I'm panicking, I'm desperate, I got to get out of here, or I have no job, you know, um, doing it strategically, as well as negotiating salary and benefits and uh, things like that. It's something I've become really passionate about, especially as a single woman, Mm -hmm. because I don't have a dual income. I don't have anybody else's uh, benefits or retirement plan or anything. Um, And so, and I don't, I'm not of the mind that says, you know, I, I had, I kept myself stuck for a long time thinking whenever I get married, that's when I'll worry about that stuff. (laughs) Um, and I don't even want to get married, but I certainly am not going to sit around waiting for someone else's money. So, Mm -hmm. um, also listening to, listening to you talk about like how you've advocated for yourself Mm -hmm. and done the things you needed to do to take care of yourself, both financially, but you know, physically and mentally and uh, professionally, mm-hmm. you know, I, <laughs> in hindsight, so I had this mindset as a young professional that if mm-hmm. I love my job and the people I worked with, it didn't matter how much money that I made. Mm-hmm. And like, I had a master's degree in the field I worked in and like, three years of experience and I was offered a job, a good job for $29,000. And this was in 2013. <laughs> but, but I'm not, and that was a job that I wanted to accept so bad. And my husband was like, there's no way Morgan, there's no way. And wow. I cried when I turned it down because I wanted to take it so bad. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was just so like hungry for, the work, not necessarily the pay, but in hindsight, yeah. I wish I would have been hungry for the pay. Well, I wish I would have advocated for myself more. There's multiple ways of looking at it. In in some ways, connections and getting your foot in the mm-hmm. door and stuff really does have is not a quantifiable value, but it's significant right. value. Uh, like you said with the Super Bowl thing, it wasn't even paid. But putting right. it on your resume <laughs> opens a lot of doors in the future. Which, by the way, it takes like a lot of privilege to even entertain. Yeah. Like whether you're 20 or, yeah. or, you know, like that's, that takes a lot of privilege and to mm-hmm. even consider a, a job that pays $29,000. Like when you're, yeah. you know, when you're 23, 24 years yeah. old, that takes privilege. Well, like and when, when, when you have the, the capability to make yeah. more if you were to go in another industry, but I yeah. wanted to be in this industry. Yeah. And so I was like, What's funny? <laughs> and I, I think there's something to be said for it. I'm not gonna I don't think just the dollar amount is the most important thing. Um like I said, I, I work remotely now and I will never go back. I will never yeah. ever uh intentionally seek out or apply for a job that doesn't offer fully remote work. The work life balance, the lack of commute and therefore gas and mm. therefore liability exposure to my car, um, my ability to like I can go work from my mom's house and see the babies all day. And um, we went to the pool on Friday and I just got my work done from like 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. And then we were at the pool in the morning. You know, the flexibility, all all these things, not to mention that I have ADHD and working in an office is very difficult when I can overhear people's phone calls and then I want to listen to them and then I want to correct what they're saying, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which was a real problem when I was a manager. Um, But, you know, 
constant distractions like that are, I can sit on my couch and if I get good and comfortable, I can sit there and power through four hours of work and not move. Mm-hmm. And that just wasn't possible in an office environment. And so there are things that are valuable like that, uh, that I might've been able to get a higher paying job if I would be right. considering positions and companies that, but I would have to drive into downtown Dallas and that's a different <laughs> quality of life yes. to commute for an hour and a half with tolls and gas and the time out of my life. And, and just be, I mean, I wear no bra, a t-shirt and shorts <laughs> every single day. It's my uniform. Yes. To drop my dog off, to run my errands. I don't care anymore. This is who I am. I don't even, when I had to go for a lunch with my new boss at this job, I was like, I got to go to Kohl's. I don't even own clothes that you can go <laughs> meet a professional <laughs> in anymore. Um, and the and clothes so, that I used to wear, I sure can't fit in. No, yeah. They sure were pre-COVID. <laughs> um, exactly. And so I, I just, um, I think that's important to be said because yes, you're right. I, and I think as a single woman, I think about that kind of privilege a lot when someone says they're going to go back to school because they have Mm -hmm. a a spouse that's working and can afford to keep them afloat. Or when they say they're going to, you know, try out a new bit, they're going to become entrepreneurs and they're going to self become self-employed or launch a new business. That's something that's a risk you can take when you have fallback income. Um, Right. And, or creative, I mean, somebody who says I'm going to stop working because I want to be a writer. That's Mm -hmm. the dream for me. That would be the dream for me too. Except, I, yeah, I, that would last me exactly three weeks of my what's left in my bank account, and then <laughs> I would be um, homeless. And so I, I think that's an important point that we've just sort of privilege is important to acknowledge and to point out, um, and also that uh, that as women in certain industries, just you know, you may have more privilege than others, but you're not. You're not the dead center of privilege, that's for sure. And you right, can often right. get get overlooked and, um, you know, belittled or dismissed or whatever. Um, okay, I want to spend a good, the rest of our time, if we can, on just sharing best practices for some some various categories. These are ones that, like, listeners responded to some Instagram polls I put out and things that you and I, you know, would be familiar with. And so to start with the category of like the job market and job hunting and we're not at salary negotiation yet. So that's a different category, mm-hmm. but um, what do you have any best practices you would share with somebody for that? Yeah, I, so I, I love job hunting probably <gasps> too much, probably too much, but I am 100% like in favor of like sending cold emails and like sending emails and making sure just like they're really well written. Don't just like cut and paste your cover letter, Mm -hmm. but like personalized emails with Mm -hmm. your resume attached, Um, whether it's for an open job or for a company that you would like to work for one day that maybe they don't have a job for you open right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Letting them know that you're interested so many of my earliest jobs came from like these blind emails that they didn't know me from Adam. Um, and I was, I was told by one of, um, one of the people who ended up hiring me, who years later was also the first person to pay me as a freelance writer. Mm -hmm. Um, she was a former boss, but she said, 
you know, I get emails all the time mm-hmm. from people who, you know, want to work in this industry. This was sports, but you are the first person who sent a follow-up email. Mm. And that like, I knew that, you know, I, I knew that you were, you were, yeah, yeah, you were intentional. I took notice yeah. and your email was also really well-written. I knew you could communicate professionally. Like, yeah. It was edited, like, you know, mm-hmm. it was well-written. You sounded professional. You're someone who, if I wanted to de- delegate my emails, like, I could count on you, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, and so just, like, don't underestimate the power of email communication and, like, the professionalism, mm-hmm. the follow-up, mm-hmm. um, and just your willingness to send it is, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, don't just count on your the the forms that you fill out online to yeah. do the job and so that's my and like like go find the jobs you want and then ask mm. like if and when will these be available and that's different that markets is, will like be different and yeah. how those jobs but it doesn't hurt to ask <laughs> so. yeah that's interesting some of i mean most of my sort of that i had brainstormed in preparation for this really is in response to just what the last couple of years has looked Mm -hmm. at. Like, you know, as I've navigated the job market a few times, um, most of uh, the first best practice I'll say is to whenever possible, if you are looking for a new position to do so from, from a place of already having a job where you're not in a huge rush out the door, you've not Mm -hmm. been fired or you're not waiting to be fired, but you you sense some growing discontent or you think, I wonder what else is out there that could be more. You don't have to be miserable to leave a job. Um, mm-hmm. You can just want better or more or different. Um, but to do so from that space, because it gives you so much more bargaining power and, uh, and uh, it protects your energy better. It can be so mm-hmm. exhausting and demoralizing looking for a job. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so protecting that where you spin your wheels. Uh, so for example, with me, I, I made sure my resume was completely up to date. It was broad enough that I could apply for multiple types of positions, but obviously specific to my industry and would demonstrate um, the, my level of expertise. Okay. So, and then I put that up into LinkedIn and indeed did all my search terms. I hide, I said, this is the salary I want only show me jobs with, with fully remote. Um, you know, I set all the filters and then I would only apply to the ones that had easy apply option that I had to literally mm. click a button and click <laughs> a button. Um, and they would have my resume because I was not at the point yet of feeling desperate enough to go in and do the long 15 page applications where I repeat what's on my resume and they want to call my high school, get out of here. <laughs> um, there may come a time for those, or you may, right. there may be a position you come across where you're like, man, this one be, is worth the time to do that. But my, my best practice for me was like, protect your energy, apply for the ones that have easy apply and, and just like p- favorite these and you can come back to them later if you need to. Um, and then the, uh, there was other, one other thing I was going to, Oh, one of the things that was just important to me was setting my priorities for what I wanted out of a position before I ever started looking. I knew I wanted remote. I knew I needed um, X amount of money. I knew the type of person or team I wanted to work on. Um, 
not a misogynist is the biggest deal. I would like to have worked <laughs> for a woman or for a team with more women because I believe ethically in advancing in my business. It's a lot of the men who own the book of business and get paid the big bucks and women who entirely hold them up. And that felt crappy after a while. <laughs> and so I was like, let me find a woman that has a book of business I can um, you know, support. I don't want that because like you said, I, one of my other priorities was I want to shut it off at five. And so, and you can find jobs like that. I, I am available during the day. I work hard. I'm available, but I have very strict boundaries when it's after five, I'm done. When it's the weekend, I'm done. If I'm on PTO, I don't even have email come to my phone. Mm. Nope. <laughs> I get paid a salary based on 40 hours a week of work. That's what you're getting yeah. from me. <laughs> I want to add a caveat to what I said mm -hmm. because um, I realized that I've, I've fallen into the trap of um, positions being created for me ah. and, and them not being well-defined. And then when you get into it, the expectations yes. like are really like there's a lot Vague of and, yeah. yes, and it, and it is, not satisfying to either party yes. <laughs> like when you don't have big expectations yes. when it's one of those like you create like your own job description yeah or we'll well, assess as we go that, on. but then they may change it like a few yeah. months down the road and you're not gonna like it <laughs> yeah yeah or there or you're gonna get somebody who's just not great with addressing critique and so it just builds resentment or things that get just awkward or snippy or you know there's a million different ways expectations being set that was actually the, the last one I had on my list for this category was mm -hmm. like communicate as clearly as possible as early and often as possible tell the recruiter this is the salary I'm expecting if that's out of y'all's ballpark I completely understand and I don't want to spin your wheels mm -hmm. we can we can part friends and say go with God but I don't want to keep having calls and interviews if you think that's not possible um or I am only interested in fully remote work. If you're going to ask me for a hybrid after I do three <laughs> emails, I'm, I'm going to say no. So I'm telling you that right now. The earlier you say it, the less likely you are on the back end to have to then negotiate something when you've finally landed the job you want and then have to go, oh, but that's not the pay I needed or whatever. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think definitely like that sense when you're in like those early conversations um, of like feeling out the company is if you feel like, cause I, you know, and this also goes back to if you're job searching when you already have a job, like mm -hmm. that level of, um, I don't want to use the word desperation, but it does change. It like adds your an anxiety. Uh -huh. Yeah. And you're, and you are willing to kind of like bend on your boundaries when, when it's yeah. <laughs> like when you just need something. And yeah. so you, you can usually sense if the employer has like the posture of like, you're lucky we're considering uh -huh. you or we feel fortunate that you're considering yes. us. And you can usually get a sense, you know, some HR people will keep that like close to the vest because they're HR. But when you yeah. get a chance to talk to the hiring manager, that's when you really can get the sense of like, <laughs> like, I'm about to work for some narcissists. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Like red flag. An interview is an interview for both parties. Like mm -hmm. you are free in your interviews to ask. I always ask, are they a good person? Like if it's the hiring manager and then I'll meet with the, with the producer or whatever, is he a good man? Like I, I 
I just, we're not going to click if he's like cutting corners and he's one of your top sales guys, but he's greasy about it or he is disrespectful to, you know, I'm not doing it. And I've had people be straight up with me and go, this may not be the team for you, honestly. And I appreciate your candor. Thank you. I need to know that. (laughs) I've even, I had a hiring manager offer to send me the contact information for someone who's reported to her before. If, Uh, if I wanted to talk to someone who had worked with her to Mm -hmm. learn about like her leadership style. Yeah. And I took her up on that and I reached out to someone she had worked at at another university. And I'm Mm -hmm. so glad I did that. Yeah. And that was one of the best like managers I ever had. (laughs) So, well, it's an indicative of a good manager mm -hmm. that they'll do that though. Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's sort of a, um, the tail was going to chase the, wag the dog I don't know how that phrase goes but it was going to be it seemed like it was going to be inevitable that she was going to be a fantastic boss yeah when in your interview she's saying I want you to feel comfortable from the get-go here yeah and not to say is you know depending on the position if you're able to find out like who is in the position before or who has been in a similar position Mm -hmm. if you can find them on LinkedIn Mm -hmm. and just send them a message like hey I'm considering this position what was your experience like working for this person or working for this organization and I think that's a great idea and I you're right I actually have had a few people I had a few recruiters this last time say uh, this is the area VP. She's, you know, she wouldn't be your direct one, but she sets the culture for the office. If you want to connect, you know, here's her, her details. That's not a bad idea. Um, I, uh, da, 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 da. so moving into pay negotiations, and this can be whether you're in the job already asking for a salary raise or whether you are, um, you know, t- considering taking a position. Um, I have a few on my list, but do you, what do you have to, to start with here? Yeah, this one is, I mean, first of all, if you've never been to glassdoor.com, that's helpful mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to just kind of get a comps. sense of what's, yeah, to yeah. just get like baseline of what your position in that industry, in that area, like yes. in that geographical area um, might make and they're not always super accurate but at least gives you an idea of a range yeah yeah and um if it's an organization to where you would be able to find salary information so if it's a nonprofit, mm-hmm. you should be able to find some tax forms that list staff members and their salaries if it's like a state or a government um mm-hmm. like a i mean i've worked at a state school a state university Mm -hmm. and so everyone's salary is is public knowledge if you go looking for it that reminds Um, me just really quick if you're in a place that makes you keep salaries secret it's because mm -hmm. they're exploiting someone (laughs) and i but it could be you or it could be the person next to you i don't ever subscribe to that anymore i talk about salaries open and honestly because i want everyone to have the bargaining power that i have and vice versa Yes, I have been in um, at a private institution that I've already mentioned on this podcast. Um, mm-hmm. I, whenever I was in the athletic department, um, I was actually the HR liaison between the human resources department and the athletic department. So mm-hmm. I had access to every spreadsheet, every mm-hmm. meeting, every contract. And that was like the most, I mean, 
this was these were kept locked up tight Mm -hmm. and my exposure to that was really like when something shifted in me and i realized i i was getting exploited Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um I realized just how imbalanced our salaries, our titles, our expectations were when taking into consideration qualifications, scope of work, Mm -hmm. you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so just to, you know, emphasize the point that Kelly just made is like, there's probably something worth hiding if there's not transparency or if there's, um, like recourse yeah (laughs) for transparency that's so true and uh and then once you know it you can't unknow it right that's the thing that sucks is i i was in a situation once where i found out that a brand new hire had negotiated a salary that was exactly the salary i had just gotten as a raise she has been in the industry three years i had been in the industry 17 hmm um, and she was brand new to the company and I was the manager and I happened to see an email on the yeah. desk of my boss when I was moving us, by the way, I was moving us to a new location. I saw the email. I couldn't unsee it. I was furious, not because I didn't want her to make that money, but because commensurate with experience, that meant by the way, I had just started making that same amount. And for the last year I'd been making 10,000 less than that. <laughs> Like, wait a second, where'd this money come from? I helped you with the budget, you know? And so it, it created a conflict in me where I had to then just go to him and say, bad news. When I was in the course of my regular job, I saw this email. Um, I, and I don't know what to do about it. It was awkward. It was uncomfortable. And he was secretive, very secretive after that. Um, and that's one of the reasons that uh, I was grateful I was in charge of hiring there also because it was that, you know, that old adage that employers want to get as much of you as they can, much from you as they can for nothing. And mm-hmm. employees want to do as little as possible for more money. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and it's an overgeneralization, I understand. But I got this glimpse into him saying, like, me saying, all of the positions on LinkedIn are starting at 45 or whatever for this position. We should, if we're going to post a job position, we should give people 45. We've got to pay competitive wages. And him saying, put 35, and if we need to hire again in a couple of years, we will. Hmm. That's You're starting out by devaluing someone you're about to invest time in. That's just foolish. Okay. This is an employer best practices. Um, on pay negotiations, like you said, I totally agree. Arm yourself with information first. Get the comps for your area. Um, and th- th- I think it's Glassdoor. There's a couple of them, though. You can put in how long you've been doing it, your level mm-hmm. of education, any um, designations or specializations, uh, account for benefits, and get a range. You can also go on Indeed, type in what you do, and see mm-hmm. what the you know salaries are posted for other um and other places and if you're relocating physically (laughs) Mm -hmm. also take into account cost of living in different places and then like income tax like just all those things that matter (laughs) you know there's there's that sticker price um that that stated salary and there's the take-home pay and that's can be very different from state to state and place to place and so that can be like a rude awakening when you get your first paycheck. <laughs> I didn't even think about state tax because in Texas, we don't have it. Right, right. And so that never occurs to me that other people have to pay state income taxes. Um, 
so know, know what I call this, know your market value. Know mm-hmm. what you are worth in the market, what the market will bear for what you can do. Know your own budget. You have to know what's the very minimum you can accept and then what you want to shoot for. I would yeah. always shoot for the higher number. And then if you, if you really want the job and you have to settle, this is the, this is the ceiling. This is what I'll take. Um, but you have to see what, it, you know, inflation, my, all of my costs, all of them have gone up over 20% in the last year, year and a half. And if I had not gotten this job, I wouldn't have had a raise for any of that time. I would have been still making the same that I calculated with bills at 20% less. Um, and so try to factor in things that could go up like rent or your insurance or something over the next year before you could negotiate another salary increase. Also related to that, I have, so I whiteboard everything Mm -hmm. with columns. I mean, some people can do this with spreadsheets. I do it with whiteboards. Mm -hmm. Um, Whenever I was looking to leave Baylor Athletics, I had three different opportunities presented to me Mm -hmm. and at very different salaries there was like the highest salary that was the lowest salary but after like whenever you consider like the the benefit like the health insurance Mm -hmm. that you that you your deductible and when you're when when you're starting to think of like what your actual take-home pay every month will be like a job that was $8,000 more in salary, I would be taking home less each month because like the health insurance benefits weren't as robust as this other employer. And so I stayed at Baylor because like those, like I would be taking home more money, even if I was, the salary was less. And and the big, you know, when you're talking about an annual salary, the 8,000 sounds like a lot of money, but divided over 26 (laughs) checks and tax, you know, if it kicks you into a higher tax bracket, that really sucks. Um, But, you know, you're exactly right because, um, I mean, very quickly, if if you have a $1,000 health insurance deductible and you're somebody who has to, I have to ADHD and back issues, I have to see two doctors every month. Mm-hmm. guaranteed. And so my deductible is going to be out of my pocket guaranteed within a couple of months. I'm going to, that's going to be a monthly expense I factor in. And then if I have a deductible of 2,500, right? Like I don't care. I don't care if I'm paying less uh, or I'm getting paid a little bit more. If my, if that much more is going to be coming out of my pocket over the next few months before the insurance coverage, I'm also paying for out of my check is coming in, you know? Um, and so that's, I mean, that goes to show why when I, that April, when I said I need more money and I got 10,000 more, it was fine, but I was coming from such a deficit. 10,000 a year is with taxes is not that much more when you actually get it home in your, in your pocket. Um, so don't let the big numbers when you do your budget, be thinking about it monthly or by paycheck also. Um, I was also going to say, know your worth, not just to the market, but to the company. This is especially Mm -hmm. if you're negotiating a raise and you're already at the company, make a list of what all your job description entails of all you do, your unique contributions, any professional development you've done, that all increases value to the company and gives you more bargaining power in those, those meetings or conversations. Um, and then my last one was be ready to walk. Mm. If you are okay with the worst case scenario, then whatever else they say in that meeting is not as bad as that. It helps you with your, it helps me at least with anxiety 
If I'm going to go into this meeting and ask for a raise, but I've already got an offer on the table in my email. And so if he says no, and I feel deflated, it's awkward. I not only do I not have to stick around for that. I also have an offer for a better situation and I'm not mm-hmm. taking the meeting asking for more salary until I've done all that work on the back end. Um, there's a, a lot of the people responded on Instagram that, uh, that negotiating the salary, that it was anxiety inducing for them. They were like, Oh, I'm nervous. Mm-hmm. So I don't usually do it. I'll just accept what they offer. Communicating up front what you want and are expecting helps. And then being ready for whatever the outcome is. Maybe it's yes. Maybe it's, um, you know, if they say no, you say, what type of professional development or milestones do you want to see and in how long? And then can we revisit this conversation? It's a year or it's six months. I'll go get this certification. I'll take this continuing ed, whatever. Um, maybe there is something performance wise that they're like, we can't say yes to this. It doesn't make sense. But it's better that you know that, <laughs> you know, that problem will follow you around. So um, that that's some of my best advice for salary negotiation. Know your worth to the market. Know your worth to the company. Know your own budget and be ready to walk if you need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also I, car buying advice my dad has always <laughs> given me. Like, they will not talk you into it if you can walk away. You have to be okay walking away. <laughs> Yeah, and I'll say that the being ready to walk when you're like in your company or in your position and trying to ask or negotiate, um, I've done that Mm -hmm. um, and I was able to do that because I had a partner who Mm -hmm. was still going to get pay and benefits if something didn't go well. And I don't mean like in your mind, be ready. I mean, (laughs) have it a plan already in place. I already had a job offer in my email. You know what I'm saying? Be ready to walk. I did did light a match on one of my, (laughs) but, but it was deserving because it was one of those things that, I mean, they were just like blatantly, blatantly discriminatory. And I, instead of taking it was just like you realize what you're doing is illegal right now and i said that yeah yeah (laughs) sometimes it calls for that yeah yeah and it was just one of those like like there was nothing else to say than to be like what you're doing is yeah wrong and you need to know that and i also realized that because i've said this makes me staying in this position very difficult and so I had to be willing to, yeah. I mean, I left my 10 year career in that industry yeah. not long after that conversation and I would do it again. Yeah. <laughs> That's, and, and one of the things that I like to keep in the back of my head is, or I did, I've gotten, this sounds braggy. I've gotten myself to this place now of doing this so long, almost 20 years. I'm at a specialization uh, mm-hmm. point now. I'm not entry level or even, you know, intermediate, Yeah, but, um, to keep in mind to continue to build your value to the industry over time. So if you do have to get into a place where you're sexually harassed and you have to walk out the door or somebody's a racist and you have to walk out the door, whatever it is um, that, that finding another job is easier when you are doing it from a panic state, because you've been Mm -hmm. intentional to make sure your CE is taken care of, to make sure, you know, what can I do to get some letters after my name? What can I do? Uh, Do I go back to school? Is that, is going back to school actually going to help? That's another really important question. People do it a lot. And sometimes 
in my field, a college degree doesn't matter near as much yeah. as experience and licensure. Um, and so consider that. <laughs> Do what will help, though, to build your value so that when you come to that scenario, you can walk out the door with a clean conscience and it's easier to find a position um, rather than that all occurring to you on, <laughs> on that day. And you have to go back to another bad situation that you may you know, find yourself yeah. on the same treadmill. Um, it was in a lot of ways, like the best, like, I don't want to, I don't over spiritualize what happened. And so I'm not going to, but at the same time, like that very misogynistic circumstance I found myself in mm -hmm. set me free from an industry that I enjoyed working in, mm -hmm. but was like, so like, <laughs> like it stole so much of my spirit mm -hmm. and, um, I was really able to rediscover like who I am as Morgan, not yeah. Morgan, the future athletic director yeah. or Morgan, you know, like just Morgan. And I liked myself a lot more after I got out of that toxic work environment and I was able yeah. to dream. I'm like, this is so fun to be like, what next? What I, next? That's how I, f I a little bit felt after I got back out of the, I was, you know, on the end of the veterinary industry, I had worked in emergency, I had worked in radiology, I had worked in surgery, and then I was working at a regular vet clinic. Um, and it was just sort of a, such a grind. It felt like I was back working in retail, like I was like 16 or something, you know, we were, had to be on our feet all day long. And um, it was just, it was such a grind. And I felt like, uh, it was the, I guess, maybe shame or internal pressure of like, I should be doing something different or something more. Um, but also that particular, I had only worked at other clinics that did specialization. And so they sent pets back to their primary vet to be euthanized. I hardly ever had to do that. When I was working at a primary vet, it was all the time. <laughs> and my sister had, has been, had been removed from life support that's how she died um and so it working in an environment where i i had to constantly be in a room where people mm. were saying goodbye and choosing to quote pull the plug to end their pet's life for the good of their i mean i get that it's different but it was triggering as hell <laughs> and uh and i wasn't doing well I didn't realize it. Mm -hmm. I also worked yeah. in a call center for like rape victims as a rape victim. It just, I'm just, sometimes you think, oh, I can save the world with this job. And actually <laughs> you're trying to heal something that's not healed yet. <laughs> yeah, or your biggest. Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say my biggest wake up call was when my therapist offered to write me a medical leave or like a mental health leave yeah. letter so that I could job search. She was like, this is a, a legitimate, yeah. like I'm legitimately worried about your mental health you yeah. need out of that job and whenever she offered to do that i never took her up on it but the fact that she offered was i was like, like oh lightning. this oh this is serious yeah <laughs> and yeah. one of my biggest fears was being thought of as oh she's not cut out for this industry mm -hmm. and i felt so much shame about that for the yeah. longest time but ha like having some distance, I'm like, no, and no one should be cut out to put up with bad behavior. Right. No one. If your industry is a monster, cut out who for wants that. to be? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you, it's hard to leave when you're like yeah. that deep into a career. It's actually harder to leave than it is to stay. That's and 
I have to like, I just have to remind myself that like, we're all doing our best, whether we're leaving or we're staying. And, um, like we all have to make hard decisions and brave decisions. And one of the things you just said that reminded me, I meant to ask you about this earlier or for us to mention it is, um, the sort of taboo or, um, uh, I can't think of the other word, the, the, bad connotation with the word ambition or ambitious, Mm -hmm. particularly as it has historically been applied to women, that if a Mm -hmm. woman was ambitious, it meant she couldn't be trusted. It meant she was vapid. It meant she was um, either like doing something shady or she was sleeping her way to the top or she was, you know, whatever. Um, And, and I think there's been, a, especially since Me Too and Time's Up, I think some of the conversation about women in the workplace has started to shift. I don't think it's as bad of a word culturally anymore. I am fine with it. I am ambitious. Do you know what that means? It means I have goals for myself. It means <laughs> I want more for myself. I want flourishing. That's yeah. my ambition is flourishing and abundance. And so I, I don't see a single thing wrong with that. Um But to those women who may be listening, saying, like, if I start making these kinds of moves, if I start asking for salaries, I'm going to look ambitious. And that keeps you frozen, Mm -hmm. sister. That's the whole point. That's why (laughs) they made the word a bad word in the first place, to keep you from upward mobility and to keep you stuck and frozen under their thumb with their foot on your neck. Yeah, I'll say I'll say that was one of the biggest, like barrier. So, you know, I went from University of Arkansas, mm-hmm. a non-religious school to mm-hmm. Baylor, a religious school, and I was mentored and brought up by like a badass woman. Like mm-hmm. she was ambitious, everyone knew mm-hmm. it. She was also 5 foot 0 like I was, and mm-hmm. but she carried herself like like I am I bring a lot of value yeah. to this place yeah. and she did. And and people stop talking when she walked into the room just mm-hmm. out of not out of fear, but just respect because she, she carried herself. And that yeah. was in an industry in a male dominated industry where most of the females who do work in there come from like basketball or volleyball, mm-hmm. like, like, like they're tall. They're like, they do have yeah. a masculine energy. Yeah. Well, I don't, <laughs> I'm five foot okay. zero. I'm very like, um, there, there's a lot of faking it till you make it like, in this body Mm -hmm. (laughs) and but I saw that like an example of that and and was really mentored and carried myself with this like confidence and and this unashamed ambition Mm -hmm. and then I took a job at a place where that was not okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) at least in that department where it was like people were really thrown off when I was very direct and matter of fact Mm -hmm. and that was rude like being direct was rude I'm an Enneagram 8. I don't know any (laughs) other way to be. I mean, we are right. It's in Ian Morgan Crone's book about the road back to you. Literally, it says female eights are the most likely to be called a bitch in the workplace environment because we're direct. Yeah. Well, so I'm a five and I Mm -hmm. integrate to the eight. Mm -hmm. And so like when I'm in like my best, when I am just thriving, I'm giving off some eight energy. Yeah. And um, that was a liability in the department that I found myself in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I was an athlete. I had a good, um, 
I always had like a good relationship with the word ambition because I was just in. Yeah. Yeah. I was an athlete. Like in a sports just, season, you're yeah. working towards state or you're working towards regional. Right. You know, you're always <laughs> looking to advance and move up and get trophies and yeah. Yeah. And so it was just really interesting going from one work environment to another mm-hmm. where, oh, I can't, I don't know how else to carry myself here and yeah. how I'm carrying myself, how I'm interacting is is seen as a liability it's not welcome well and i and to that you know you're i don't when i didn't mean to congratulate us on on so much progress (laughs) that that's not the case anymore of course it is in some places i would say particularly religious institutions that's Mm -hmm. not surprising um but what to me that would say is that this is a red flag about this place not this is a red flag about me right um and so and so maybe it's not the straw that breaks the camel back. Maybe you do keep working there, but you keep honoring who you are and showing up the exact size and space and energy that you are. Um, and maybe somebody coming behind you gets to drift off your tailwinds just like you did with your boss. <laughs> That's the best case scenario. Like shattering ceilings and letting other people do the thing that you, you know, the hard thing you did. If, But it is on your list of red flags. And so at mm-hmm. some point, if you have other ones starting to stack up, um, it should be taken into consideration. And I just didn't want someone to hear you say it's a liability and say, oh, oh then I should Oh, right, right, right. You know? <laughs> right. And I'll also say, like, one of my green flags now, like, I am recognize this, mm-hmm. is female eights. Like, almost all of my, Ooh. like freelance clients that I've worked with over a long period of time, Mm -hmm. like the authors that I've edited that I've like, they've brought me in to be like a sense you know, to just to be give honest feedback Mm -hmm. or female eights. Mm -hmm. And that is like a consistent thing of like the people I choose to work with and who Hmm. choose to work with me, female eights. Um, But I'll say that um, whenever I left that job, I was hired by a female eight and she later told me that when she did like the obligatory like reference check Mm -hmm. and one of my quote opportunities for improvement, Mm -hmm. which would be like coded for as like a week problem. Yeah. (laughs) um, Is that I wasn't very compliant to leadership. And she said that was when I knew I needed to hire you. (laughs) (laughs) like she she saw that as a green flag when someone else like that was a red flag and I was like I am in the right place (laughs) I am with my people (laughs) that's fantastic I mean no one here we're not advocating for you don't be an asshole don't actually (laughs) be just a dick to people in your work environment be considerate that not everyone is an eight that some people do want you to sandwich their critique between two compliments I want you to bottom line it for me I'm just not interested (laughs) in the compliments Unless they're separate and another time and you mean them, don't give them to me because you're trying to say something else. That's bullshit. I don't want it. Um, but, or like if you have a really long email, can you just give me the thesis and the first sentence right? and then let me read and let me unpack it as I go. But, um, you know, but I have to recognize there are fours, there are twos, there are people yeah, who are yeah. much more sensitive to that tone and, or just younger people. I was a manager for someone who's, um, it was like her first real career job. Um, and she had been a a barista prior to that. And I look back now and what I did to her was I had to pay these dues with women who were bitches to me 
in the office and who were really tough on me. And so you need to toughen up. You'll learn it. You know, otherwise this industry is going to eat you. Um, and so I, I was not as kind or as generous or soft as I should have been. I was also burning out. And so part of that was, I just didn't have the capacity, but the other part was like, that was an area where I still needed to grow and still need to Mm -hmm. see, I could finally see it when I got out of the environment. Um, that like, we eights love, we love leadership, but like, don't make us do it any differently than the way we want to do it, which means take our, <laughs> take our feedback as just loving and kind. Just don't make us say all the loving and kind things. Isn't that awful? Um, <laughs> really quick. Do you have any like sort of maybe non-categorized, but any last um, best practices about something you learned? Mine is use your PTO. Mm. use your PTO, use your vacation days, use your sick days. You have them and they're factored into your salary. Use them Uh, and turn your email off and turn your phone off and it will wait until you get back. Uh, But that, that like setting those boundaries and insisting on them consistently, because if somebody gets gets an email from you at 6am, they're going to think they can start emailing you at (laughs) 6am. That is my sort of last one that doesn't fall into a category really, but just office best practices. Yeah. I mean, mine would be, don't, you know, don't be afraid to pivot. Mm -hmm. And, and that was, that was, that was really scary. (laughs) That was really scary for me to pivot after a decade at an industry. Yeah. Um, Thinking like there's, no way I can find my place. Like I, I, I felt like I would be behind no matter mm-hmm. like what I pivoted to. And I've just been surprised at every corner how um, there's like, there's so much to look forward to on the other side of the pivot. Yeah. And um, there's so much to discover about yourself yeah, and about the world. And there's like opportunity to make mistakes yeah. and to take risks again because yeah. you're new again. Yeah. Um, and it, it's a real gift. And also like bringing in expertise from like an old, like a former industry or a former job that you're no longer in. Uh-huh. Like that is like, that's valuable. Like yes. my, my experience working with athletes and coaches and like mm-hmm. kind of celebrities in this own realm that, mm-hmm. and like <laughs> bringing it into publishing, I use like, like sports metaphors all the time in <laughs> publishing because they fit like they, they fit like a glove. <laughs> and also I can bring some of that like wisdom and truth from that. Like my experiences there that mm-hmm. have added value mm-hmm. to my new work and my new field and so it's not that I'm starting over it's I'm starting different okay okay so that was my conversation with Morgan Stralo I know it sounded like at the end from her uh, inflection that I cut her off mid-thought with that recording um but she we changed the subject right after that and we were sort of logging off and saying goodbye so um you didn't miss anything that was uh, the end of the thought I wanted to we I'm I know this is a longer episode than we normally make we're at an hour and 10 minutes at this point but I just we were just racing to try to get in as much information for you as possible 
Um, there was a couple of things that I forgot to include that I'm going to just tell you here because I want to make sure it gets included. Um, the first thing is that it, along your, you know, at, just during the course of your employment, something that I regularly do is if you get any praiseworthy emails or testimonials, if you see them, you know, Google reviews that people mention your name or if somebody, you know, sends you an email, hey, thank you so much for doing this so quickly. I really appreciate your attention to detail, whatever it is. Even things like that that may seem like they're just saying thank you. I create an inbox folder and I save those emails there um, because uh, you never know. And sometimes they're much more, you know, involved in that. People are can sometimes be really effusive with their praise and really specific. And those things help too in salary negotiations. They won't, may not help in the job market, um, but when you're asking for a promotion or when you are at your annual review or you're potentially negotiating a higher salary, um, saving things like praise from your existing clients, the people that do business with the people making the decision about your pay. Um, it is always wise to save those things. Um, and then the last thing I'll say, and I, I may have mentioned it in the episode, but sort of the, the, the linchpin that got me to decide to leave the smaller agency environment and pursue employment in the larger sector of the insurance world um, in December of 2021 was I had this sort of realization in therapy that I will not continue to forfeit my peace, P-E-I-C-E, my peace to this job, a job that costs me my peace is costing me too much. It should be a mutual transaction. You provide goods and, I mean, you provide work and they provide your salary and benefits. And then maybe there are some, you know, fringe things like community being built and friends being made and um, other advancement opportunities because you've been on, you know, they're on your resume. Those things are are all part of the transaction. Um, But if it is costing you your peace, it is costing you too much. And just like I said, you don't have to be miserable to start looking for a job. Um, You can also just want more or better or different but if you do if you are feeling like a job is costing you your peace um it is costing you too much and so let this enneagram eight tell you it's time (laughs) to start looking into other opportunities um And that was just the last two things I I wanted to make sure and include. My thanks again to Morgan for joining me for this conversation. You can find her on Twitter, threads, and Instagram at Morgan Stralo. That's S-T-R-E-H-L-O-W. Or on her website at morganstralo.com. I will link to these in the show notes as well. I do want to take a quick second to remind you that the Let It Matter podcast has launched our Patreon community a few months ago. We would love to have you join us there. For as little as $4 a month, partners get exclusive content like additional episodes, uncut interviews, Bible study, and spiritual formation teachings, and monthly matterings, a private partners-only Zoom call with me that builds community as we dive deeper into recent episode topics. I can tell you the the, uh, monthly matterings call we just had for August was so rich and such a good time of building community. We talked about our deconstruction experiences and how our Enneagram number played into that. And we talked about from uh, Tara Tang's recent episode, her quote, that we only go where the body gives consent. And so we sort of walked this line for about an hour and 15 minutes talking about how 
our bodies indicated to us when it was time to maybe start looking at other churches um, or that this theology didn't sit right with us or something and how our Enneagram numbers played into that. It was a really, really riveting conversation and we just built a lot of community through it. Um, If you are interested in something like that, to get instant access to all the partner perks, head over to patreon.com forward slash let it matter pod or to letitmatter.com forward slash podcast. There's a link there as well. Join me next week as we continue to make space for, honor, and name what matters. And now, according to our tradition as we close out, I offer you this benediction from Shannon K. Evans' book, Feminist Prayers for My Daughter. The prayer is on page 147 called For Promotions and Leadership Positions. I have adapted the language so that it is not just singular to Shannon's daughter, but to all women. Let's pray. O lifter of the marginalized, it is said that you cast down the mighty from their thrones and lift up the lowly. As unfair as it is, women are one of the lowly in our professions, a female in an environment that systematically rewards males. Like so many women before us, Our work has been undervalued and overlooked. Others have risen through the ranks while we have been met with a pat on the head. And so I pray, open doors for us. May we be promoted. May we be given a raise. May we receive unexpected job offers and unlikely opportunities. May we be placed in leadership positions where everyone can watch us shine. May opportunity rain down on us. May we for once be relieved of the fatigue that women feel when passed by for less qualified men. Amen.